0: Hi, everyone. I'm Emily Chang, and this is Bloomberg Studio 1.0. It is one of the most popular apps on the App Store and possibly one of the most despised. Robinhood launched in April 2013 with a stated mission to democratize investing. It's named, of course, for the legendary outlaw who stole from the rich to give to the poor. Thanks to a slick interface, no commissions or minimums, the idea is anyone, anywhere, can invest in thousands of stocks just like the big guys, But taking on Wall Street has led to test after test, from outages to a $65 million fine from the SEC, and then the perfect storm on January 27th. This is unbelievable. We're looking at anywhere from 40 to 800% gains. Traders drove the price of GameStop and several other so-called meme stocks up so high, so fast, that Robinhood faced a demand for billions of dollars to offset risk. The company restricted buying on 13 stocks, including GameStop. Customers were furious. Meme stocks plunged, and CEO Vlad Tenev had to answer to lawmakers.
1: At that moment, uh, we would not have been able to post the $3 billion in collateral.
0: Robinhood now faces even more questions about its model and whether it's exposing largely novice investors to undue risk. Here to answer those questions on this special edition of Bloomberg Studio 1.0, Robinhood CEO Vlad Tenev. You and your co-founder, Baiju Bot started Robinhood, in part in response to the Occupy Wall Street movement, which was filled with angst against the financial system and and then amplified on social media. Do you see the GameStop frenzy as an echo of that?
1: I think you're seeing a continuation of uh, a few things. Uh, I think if you look at a lot of the angst uh, after the last financial crisis— people were very very frustrated that um the recovery went to uh the wealthy uh it went to institutions and we we built Robinhood to enable economic opportunity for everyone. We wanted everyone to have access to the the capital markets which has been one of the greatest wealth creation engines in human history. So I think um What you're seeing now is a movement by individuals to participate and become a bigger and bigger force in the financial markets.
0: Now, both of you are immigrants. You grew up in Bulgaria. Your parents worked at the World Bank. How has that shaped your perspective?
1: Yeah. um, So I immigrated from Bulgaria when I was five years old, Um, obviously. When my my family and I uh, came to the U.S. in the early 90s, we were starting from nothing. So um, my dad was a graduate student. Uh, My mom worked as a waitress and also in one of the few remaining uh, textile plants in the U.S. at the time. So had the experience of starting from from basically nothing. Also uh, in Bulgaria in the mid 90s. Uh, the financial system effectively collapsed. Uh, There was a period in 1997 where the Bulgarian currency was going through hyperinflation and you were seeing uh, around 2000% annualized inflation. So I think we have, we we sort of assume in the U S that we have the U S dollar and it's stable and it's this baseline that we can rely on. But I think Seeing my grandparents go through that experience in Bulgaria, where their pensions became essentially worthless, um, really led me to appreciate that you have to be diversified and being plugged into a global financial system where you can uh, diversify your wealth and spread your savings around and not rely too much on any one tool or asset, Uh, I, I think I got to experience that very, very directly.
0: Now, you became sole CEO in November 2020. And in the first three months in that role, you've navigated one of the biggest crises in the company's history. You've testified before Congress. What have you learned in those three months?
1: There's the, the phrase that um, there's some decades where nothing happens and then some weeks when decades happen, which I think... Uh, I think, is representative of what we've been through at Robinhood. I think that now, uh, not just Robinhood, the entire industry has seen investing go from something that's very niche. I mean, it's something that, you know, you'd hear about on, on TV, but a relatively small number of people were actually interested in it. And uh, now you're seeing investing very much be a part of the cultural zeitgeist. I mean, people are talking about it on social media. We are having uh, congressional hearings about it. And I think anything entering the cultural zeitgeist, um, anything new like that, there's bound to be uh, some confusion. There's there's bound to be some stress. And I think I, I just have to keep it in perspective for myself that um, – this is kind of what I signed up for. I mean, anytime you're causing change in society and um, and, and kind of upending the status quo, it's, it's probably not going to be the most comfortable process.
0: I'm curious how testifying before Congress ranks on the nerves scale of the hard things that CEOs have to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I hadn't done anything like that before. Um, the way that I thought about it was... This is just a great opportunity to tell the story of Robinhood and not just the events of January 28th, but the broader story of retail investor participation in our financial system. One of kind of the unsung untold stories is that if you look at the 2020 recovery, um, people that are getting into the stock market are more diverse. There's a lot more women uh, entering the space than, than ever before. And generally, um, we, we've been a positive force and people on Robinhood have done quite well. I, I um, announced this stat at the congressional hearing, actually, that if you look at our aggregate customer activity, uh, the unrealized and realized gains, including crypto and uh, stocks, were over $35 billion. So that's, um, that's you know, as of February billion of value that is in customers' pockets, uh, literally, their smartphone. Um, And without Robinhood, that may not have been possible, especially during such difficult times as as the pandemic.
0: Now, you said you got that call from your clearinghouse at 3.30 in the morning, January 28th, asking you to put up an extra $3 billion. Take me back to that moment and describe how that felt. Um, knowing that you were going to have to make a hard call?
1: I think the team played it by the books, and uh, I'm proud of of how they handled it. And of course, you know, we look back and we say, um, what are the things we could have done better? And uh, I'm sure there's there's many, many things that uh, we could have done better, specifically with um, sort of how we communicated uh, with the decision and the days leading up to it when we were seeing increased volatility. Um, But I think as far as the operations team and uh, how they were acting in a moment of um, very high stress, I'm very proud of of that team and, and their professionalism and the way that they had to juggle, you know, making the customers that wanted to buy meme stocks happy, but also protecting the financial system and our our much broader, larger customer base.
0: You decided to allow selling but not buying of 13 securities, including GameStop. And you and I spoke on that day. And I've never seen so much anger in response to an interview on social media. Customers were livid. They thought you were lying. They thought you were in cahoots with hedge funds. They thought you were just trying to protect yourself or the company. Did you understand that anger or where that was coming from?
1: I think a lot of it was based on the false premise of uh, Robinhood uh, colluding with hedge funds uh, or Melvin Capital. There was even a rumor that the White House had called us, uh, told us to shut down trading of this stock. So I, I think there's a lot of misinformation. What I wanted to do was dispel the misinformation. So when I came to, um, when I came on your show that day, and by the way, it was obviously I was kind of running on fumes trying to navigate through through the day to day of the issue, raising the several billion dollars, and uh, obviously it was a very very tricky situation. But I would say as as angry as people were that we, um, we prevented them from buying. Had we prevented customers from selling and capturing their gains on the stock, um, people would have been much more angry. There would have been riots on the streets had we stopped selling. So this idea that you know, things would have been better, I think it's just categorically false.
0: This is my conversation with Robinhood CEO Vlad Tenev. Up next, is Robinhood gamifying investing, glorifying gambling? President Biden's pick to run the SEC says investigating that will be one of his top priorities. What will that mean for Robinhood? The CEO responds to his harshest critics. I'm Emily Chang. This is Bloomberg Studio 1.0. Free trading is the industry standard now. Robinhood is then under scrutiny for gamifying that trading. And the controversy has reopened this broader question of your role in society. What do you say to critics who say you're democratizing addiction? You're glorifying gambling?
1: I reject the idea that investing in the U.S. capital markets is uh, is gambling. Um, I think we have uh, a problem in this country, which is that um, since the uh, end of World War II, um, more and more of uh, the stock, the corporate stocks in America, have been um, have been owned by advisors or other institutions or intermediaries. So at the end of World War II, the majority of stocks were actually held by households. And um, that's been going down over time. And I think at the same time, you've seen really, really high concerns about income inequality and wealth inequality and and these concerns threaten the, the fabric of our society. Uh, and I think people agree that that's a problem. And we've got a product here that um, has real potential to curb that. So I, I think any attempt to prevent individuals from uh, accessing the markets directly is is just um, is just poorly directed. I think, if anything, we should be looking at how to encourage individuals from to invest in, in the markets directly and make it uh, even easier and remove the remaining barriers that, that are in the way.
0: That said, Gary Gensler, President Biden's pick to run the SEC, has said he's going to address the gamification of investing as one of his top priorities. What will that mean for Robinhood?
1: Well, I, I think... Um, First of all, we're excited to work with the incoming administration to um, to clarify some of these things. And uh, we, we welcome people looking into it. I think what they'll find is uh, uh, gamification is, uh, is poorly defined. Um, it's not happening uh, on Robinhood. Um, I think people just want to invest in stocks and regardless of whether they do it on Robinhood or any of the other brokers uh, with zero commissions and low account minimums, uh, that's now possible.
0: So on the point of gamification, your confetti animation, that confetti that pops when users make certain trades, this is something that you've defended, but now Bloomberg has reported it's something you're you're thinking about potentially getting rid of. What is the status of that?
1: Well, I I should say um, I'm a bit surprised by uh, by how much attention the the confetti animation has gotten um, it's literally uh, an animation that comes up after you make your first trade uh, you'd think by from reading uh from reading some of the commentary that confetti's flying the flying through the app uh, all, all over the place but um, the way we thought about it is um, the first time someone becomes an investor and, and we do have a lot of first-time investors on our product. Um, that first moment of buying a stock and becoming an owner in a company is a milestone moment that people should celebrate. And so you'll see, you know, confetti animation on your first trade. You'll see us adding snowflakes if the markets are closed on December 25th or January 1st, you know, snowflakes will will fall on the app. and. There's a lot of these delightful uh, graphical moments where um, it's just reflective of almost an artist signing their work.
0: So does that mean you're not getting rid of it anytime soon?
1: Well, I I don't want to talk about specific decisions. Um, We we don't want to make decisions um, governed by sort of what, what the media says about Robin Hood, but... We're we're always looking to improve the experience, and um, you know sometimes we might replace things with uh, things that we feel make customers uh, happier and, and meet their needs. So we're we're always looking looking to do that, um, and you know it might mean certain changes to the the, the customer interface, um, and it might mean other things. But uh, I guess just be on the lookout for them.
0: Now. We're seeing a prolonged sell-off in the markets. I've seen a bunch of people tweeting screenshots of their Robinhood notifications. It was a bloodbath for a lot of people, including many of your customers, who are only used to things going up. If there's a correction, how worried are you about your customers hurting? And if your customers are hurting on a large scale, does that hurt Robinhood?
1: We, we definitely... Um want to make sure we align ourselves with long-term customer outcomes. Um, and we've been saying the entire time that investing is a habit. It's a skill. Um, we encourage uh, people to get started early, but also build up these habits over a long period of time. And I'm, I'm personally a huge believer in long-term investing. So I think a lot of the Shorter term uh, trading makes its way into the public discourse because it's it's more interesting and there's more to talk about than someone just uh, building up a diversified portfolio over time. But that's how most of our customers use our products. Most of our customers uh, aren't buying and selling on a daily basis. They're building up portfolios and, and largely doing buy and hold activities. That said... In 2020, we got a little bit of a taste of how people react to uh, a market crash and a, and a correction. And we found that our customers, because they were younger, looked at it as a buying opportunity and as an opportunity to buy into the market at historically low multiples. So we saw more deposits and more uh, purchasing of stocks than, uh, than ever before.
0: You're listening to my conversation with Vlad Tenev, CEO of Robinhood. Coming up, Tenev paints his picture of the future investor, not just in the U.S., but around the world. He thinks investing should be as ubiquitous as online shopping. But he's now got dozens of lawsuits to fight along the way. I'm Emily Chang. This is Bloomberg Studio 1.0. Stay with us. Robinhood has gotten a lot of criticism for not having enough customer support. And of course, you know, I'm reminded of of the story of 20-year-old Alex Kearns, who committed suicide in June of 2020 after seeing a negative balance of $730,000 on his Robinhood account that turned out to be a mistake. He emailed customer support. He got an automated response. And by the time Robinhood had replied, um, with. the the actual situation, which was not as dire as he had thought, it was too late. How much responsibility do you think Robinhood bears in that situation?
1: Well, I think we bear responsibility for learning from it and making sure that we respond and improve our product and our customer service model to uh, prevent uh, cases like that from from being repeated. And certainly that's what we did. We announced very shortly after um, Mr. Kearns' passing that we are taking a series of extremely aggressive uh, measures, including product changes, UI changes, changes to how we communicate buying power and particularly negative buying power, and uh, adding live phone support, which we started out uh, offering for high severity options trading cases, but have since expanded to other cases like account security, um, uh, stock trading. And the the response has been really awesome. And we're, we're looking to expand it to all cases uh, at Robinhood.
0: So let's get to your IPO. Uh, Bloomberg has reported you're considering selling some shares directly to your customers can you give us the status of that?
1: Um, Clearly, this is a business that requires capital. And I think we've shown that we have a variety of means to to capitalize the business. um, And we see a huge growth opportunity ahead of us. And I think it's a seminal moment for the individual investor. Um, It's an opportunity for us to, to serve them. And to continue to elevate the individual investor in the eyes of, of the American public. So that, that's my focus, just squarely on customers and delivering for them. And I think um, I think all, all of the other things are just uh, in support of that core mission.
0: You are facing dozens of lawsuits. What is your intention on how to fight these? And do you have any concern that could impact your IPO trajectory?
1: We're going to defend the firm vigorously because we, we actually disagree with the fundamental premise, and I think the facts uh, will come out, and it'll bear uh, it'll bear out that Robinhood is a customer focused company that is operating with the highest standards of integrity, and um, and will continue to do so.
0: And if payment for order flow gets taken away, do you have another option?
1: I mean, I think a lot of the payment for order flow uh, concern is more or less baseless. People don't understand the details behind it. Um, and so they're, they're, throwing a, they're throwing out a lot of these accusations. Um, and it, it's complicated. I, I understand that uh, it's hard to sort of grasp how payment for order flow works. We're doing our best to try to demystify it. Um, we're doing a lot of uh, – we're putting out a lot of content on our blog and on social media – that actually shows uh, demonstrates that uh, we believe it's it's better for customers. People get uh, price improvement, which they wouldn't be able to get uh, if we routed their marketable orders to exchanges. Um, they get uh, they get a higher degree of certainty of execution, um, and uh, and our our model basically aligns incentives and makes it so that. All of our uh, all of our market makers pay the same rate thereby uh, removing conflicts of interest from from the relationship so um, I not only think it's a good model I think it's uh, it's an innovative model and it's an example and, and probably a big part of why the American financial markets have their world leading position it's it's that we've allowed uh, innovative models to flourish and not try to regulate them out of existence.
0: You know, I know you have big plans, a big vision beyond the basic brokerage and the features you have now. What are the biggest milestones ahead? What are your priorities? Uh,
1: I, I think you can look at uh, our, our vision uh, broadly and say that right now about half of U.S. households invest. We'd like to get that number up to 95 plus percent. Investing should be as ubiquitous as shopping online. It should just be something that people do. Um, And moreover, I think there's uh, an opportunity to expand that beyond the U.S. There's no reason why the greatest financial system uh, the world has ever seen should be only available to Americans. Uh, We can we can we can uh, we can make that available uh, globally and not just to. High net worth individuals and the wealthiest one percent globally but to the mass market um and so I, I think that's a huge opportunity
0: all right vlad thank you so much for joining us vlad ten of their robin hood ceo appreciate you taking the time today Bloomberg Studio 1.0 is produced and edited by Kevin Hines. Our executive producer is Allison Weiss. Our managing editor is Danielle Culbertson, with production assistance from Lauren Ellis and Mallory Abelhausen. I'm Emily Chang, your host and executive producer. This is Bloomberg.